This is the third week of the message series, Nameless, with a focus on stories of nameless women in the Bible. Now, Ross mentioned the other week that we as a society put a great deal of emphasis on what we are going to call someone or call something. Think about people naming their children or their pets. People sometimes put more emphasis on their pets' names that I've found um, so what you're going to call some new product or a new service or um, even street names. We put a lot of importance in what we name things. And generally speaking, names are just important. They carry weight and they carry meaning. Same is true for names in scripture. A lot of times when you hear a name or read a name in scripture, if you look at the meaning of that name, it tells you something about the place that has that name or about the person that has that name. So it reveals something to us about the meaning of the story. Um, so it's important in scripture too. And despite the importance of names in scripture, lots of people in the Bible, especially women, are nameless even though many of them have important roles in the story of God. Today we're going to hear about the adulterous woman in the Gospel of John. So I'm going to read from John chapter 8, verses 1, I mean 2 through 11. I can maybe see it better up there, actually. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. That's Jesus. Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before, and made her stand before all of them. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. This is God's word for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have learned as a pastor that I have a superpower. I have the power to make people feel guilty. In movies, you can see, um, in movies and these TV series with characters who have powers, they have to learn how to wield their power. They have to figure out, oh, I have this power, and then learn how to use it. Well, I don't have to work at it. It just happens. It just comes out of me. I do nothing. I haven't learned to do this. It just appeared one day. When I was a pastor of a church years ago, I went to the grocery store after worship. You know, on the way home, I need to pick up something for our lunch, and so I stopped by the grocery store on the way home, and I ran into this family who were members of that church that I'd just been at. And they were in flip-flops and t-shirts, you know. Clearly, they had not been with me just a little while ago. And I said, oh, hey, I was just being friendly. And I was happy that I ran into them. But they turned around and saw who it was and immediately turned red and looked like this. They, they had these faces of shame and guilt on them. And all I did was say hello to them in the grocery store. That's it. I was just trying to be nice. And now, as the chaplain 
um, at BSC, I just walk around and people feel guilty about what they're saying and doing. You know, I, I hear all kinds of things with all wonderful language shared all the time. I hear, I mean, it's just swirling around me every day, all these things that are being said on the college campus. And sometimes um, people will be talking, students will be talking with each other and they don't know I'm walking behind them or something and somebody will describe something very colorfully and then their friend will turn around and see them there and go, hey, hey, the chaplain's right there, you know? Like it's worse if the chaplain hears you. And so they're like, oh, sorry, sorry. And so they feel guilty about what they've just been talking about because I've heard it. So, and I didn't do anything. I was just walking. I was just, so I have this superpower. I can't even control it. It's just there. Uh, I don't know how to use it. It's just it's part of me. But everywhere I have worked, there have been some people who seem afraid that I'm out to catch them doing something or saying something they're not supposed to. Like, I'm just around looking for you to do wrong, and I'm going to condemn you and judge you. No, I'm not, you know, am I a judgy person? Maybe. But seriously, I am not on the lookout for people doing or saying things so that I can judge or condemn them. Even the scribes and Pharisees in the scripture reading today weren't really trying to catch this woman that they brought to Jesus to condemn her. Or at least if they were trying to do that, they did a pretty bad job of it. They didn't provide two formal witnesses as the law required. They didn't bring the man she was found with who should have also received the same punishment. So it seems that nothing that they did was really about this nameless woman. They didn't care about her. They were trying to get Jesus. They wanted to get him to say or do something that would undermine his authority with all these people who were following him and doing the things that he said and taking attention away from their leadership. And or they wanted to get a charge, um, a chargeable offense on Jesus so that they could stop him from continuing to teach and lead in the community. Well, Jesus seemed to recognize what they were up to um, because he disengaged. Instead of making eye contact and doing all the active listening that we're taught to do, mm, no, he, Jesus didn't do all of that. Jesus squatted down and just wrote in the sand. No eye contact, not paying attention. Now, some people will try to guess, what could Jesus have been writing in the sand? Well, that's beside the point, and we don't know, and we can't know. So that's a useless question in my mind. Don't, I mean, I'm, not that I'm judging others who do that, but... Um, it's a useless question in my mind because we don't know and we can't know. The point is that he was showing a lack of interest in getting involved in this whole thing that they were trying to start. Today, it'd be like pretending to get a phone call all of a sudden. Like, oh, 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 somebody's calling me. I've got to go. Or um, like, you, like you found something so interesting that you just can't tear yourself away from it on your phone or you're zoned out scrolling and you're just pretending nothing else around you is happening. There's nothing going on. Um, you're just, oh, this stuff on Instagram, I can't stop looking at it. But our daughter, Lena, who's here today, when she was in middle school, um, she used this tactic during carpool. Um, every time I'd pick up these kids for carpool and the other family, their children would fight over who was going to sit where. Well, Lena would just get in the car and sit down somewhere and then pull out her phone and play a game. And they, and all the time this argument is going on over here. And she just, she just disengaged from it and avoided being part of the whole thing. And I bet some of you have done something similar before. Anyway, <clears throat> Jesus wasn't speaking up 
like these folks had hoped he would. They, he wasn't saying anything that was getting him in trouble. And so they kept pressing him and pressing him for an answer. And finally, Jesus stood up and said, let anyone who among you who is without sin throw the first stone at her. Now, if you've watched any Jesus movies, most Jesus movies have Jesus talking real chill and calm the whole time. Like he's just totally relaxed. He's like, hey, anyone who doesn't have sin, you cast the first stone at her. But I imagine it more like a parent who is so tired of his tattling children, he wants them to go away and leave him alone. So it's more like, okay, okay, here we go. The first, the one, whichever one of you has no sin, you cast the first stone at her. All right, now leave me alone. And so then he goes back to riding in the sand again. So that's how I imagine it. But however, however Jesus said this, he got his point across because all of the accusers and the spectators walked away. And they did so carrying a reminder of their own sin and guilt. They had demanded clarity about this woman's standing in the eyes of God's law, but they weren't thinking about their own failure to fully follow the law of God themselves. Sometimes we get a little self-righteous and focus on how we are better than other people who we think do way worse things than I have ever done. We like to point out other people's wrongs and ignore our own. Other times we put someone up on a pedestal and believe there's nothing they can do that could be close to wrong. They're so wonderful. But the truth about all of us is here in the point that Jesus made, that no one, no matter who you are, is without sin. Not even the most senior and revered members of the community, like the scribes and the Pharisees, or like the preachers and the youth directors and the children's ministers. With his words to the crowd, Jesus put everyone on the same level. He asked everyone to consider their own relationship with and their own measure against God's law. Pretty much every day, we are encouraged by someone or something, either directly or indirectly, to take a clear stand on who is good and who is bad. Friends will call us and they'll talk about someone who's making them mad and they want us to back them up and they want to say, that's right, you're right, and they're wrong, they're terrible, how could they? Don't take that. You know, they want us to just take their side and back them up on these things. We have articles, we have radio shows, podcasts, TV shows that all point out the people or the person who's terrible and bad and invite everyone to jump in on this with their comments, with their likes, with their shares, and to help them condemn some person or some whole group of people. But what good does it do to condemn people and categorize folks as bad or always wrong? Condemning and shaming does not lead to real change in the person that we think is doing something bad. What does bring some good is recognizing everyone as human and sinful and giving each other another chance at being and doing better. In this passage, everyone got a chance to break with their old ways and receive a new life and do more good. Everyone got a new chance at a life of freedom. Freedom from condemnation on the part of this nameless woman 
and freedom for loving and living for God on the part of everyone else who was ready to condemn her. We are all offered another chance to be faithful through the gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. But as one Bible scholar wrote, that freedom demands a renunciation of old ways and former claims. Jesus freely shares forgiveness, but he urges that the acquittal that is freely given become the beginning point of a new life. I remember being taught that God forgives you no matter what. It was in Sunday school growing up, and then they quickly said, but that doesn't mean you can just go and do whatever you want and just keep asking for forgiveness and just keep that pattern going so you guys don't think about that. You know, that's a Sunday school. Don't think that you can just keep doing this, and that's okay. God wants change in your lives. With the gift of forgiveness, God desires change. We are called to refocus our lives on God's will and to recenter our path with the way of Jesus. Again, we all need forgiveness. God offers that the forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus and we because we all sin. At the same time, as Jesus demonstrated in his actions in this passage, we are all valued and beloved children of God. When Jesus spoke to the woman in this story, it was the first that anyone spoke to her. She had been used as an object or as a tool by those who were trying to trick Jesus, but Jesus spoke directly to her, acknowledging her as someone of value rather than just a pawn in this game. In John chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus said, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is not about trying to catch people or find us out in our sin and condemn us. Jesus is not out there trying to make you feel guilty. Our sinfulness is already clear to God. That is the whole reason that God sent Jesus for our sins is because God knows that we are broken and that we need God's grace to be made whole and to be made holy. Because God loves us and knows we need another chance, that's why we have Jesus. So knowing that we regularly fall short, that God forgives us and calls us to more closely follow Jesus, then what steps can we take to be more faithful and obedient in this? Well, I think step one is simply paying attention to ourselves and to how we live our lives. One helpful way to do this is a practice of journaling, or if you don't want to write it all down, just prayerful reflection on our days. Find a time when you can bring to mind what you have said and done recently, and then ask yourself some of these kinds of questions. Questions like, when did I show grace? When did I do or say something that brought good for other people? When did I feel closest to God? And what drew me away from connecting with God? Which of my words and actions hurt someone? And if we're in conflict, we can ask ourselves, what role have I played in creating this conflict, creating this problem? Not just looking at what the other person has done. And then after we have some time to reflect on all these different questions that we ask ourselves, wrap up with one question. What do I want to do or say differently tomorrow as I move forward? This kind of reflection work can help us to avoid a focus on 
what is wrong about other people and why other people are bad and instead help us turn our focus toward the ways in which we can be part of bringing about good and bringing about life through our words and our actions. This nameless, adulterous woman in the Gospel of John was meant by the ones who accused her to represent everyone who needs to be punished. Jesus, though, showed everyone that the woman represents all of us. We all have things for which we could be shunned or punished. To some extent, it's true for all of us. But Jesus forgives us and sends us out to be faithful and obedient and to share this same grace with others. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.